HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is proudly supported by LMT, the hospitality industry's preferred source for tabletop and more. Learn more at lmtprovisions.com. This week on Meet and 3, it's our season four finale, and we're sharing some of our greatest kitchen joys. Maybe most people consider making it too much work or too messy, but this is the food that's worth the work and worth the wait. You always know where the thing is because you put it away the right way the first time. You just sort of stand there in front, you know, with your hand on your hip and one leg outstretched, glass of wine in your hand, staring into the refrigerator going, okay, speak to me. Oh yeah, what are you doing with the celery tonight? I'm making a simple syrup for a gin cocktail with the celery. And I also found a recipe for a celery soup that's going to use up the celery and the potatoes and some of that dill that we still have hanging out in there. (laughs) Tune in and be inspired to find the joy in your kitchen. And don't forget to subscribe to Meet in 3 wherever you listen to podcasts. Lead me in the kitchen What are we going to Thanks for tuning in to Queer the Table. I'm your host, Nico Whistler, and I'm very excited because this week I get to pass the mic to the brilliant Eric Marcus, host of a wonderful podcast called Making Gay History. Earlier this year, Eric made an episode that I instantly fell head over heels in love with and have been wanting to share here on this show ever since. This is Kay Lahusen's Gay Table. I'm Kay Tobin Lahusen, and this is Making Gay History. <laughs> And I'm Eric Marcus. 
Welcome to a very special Pride episode of Making Gay History with one of this podcast's most beloved heroes, Kay Tobin Lahuzen. Kay and her partner, Barbara Giddings, are icons of the early LGBTQ civil rights movement. While Barbara organized, picketed, and published, Kay was behind the scenes documenting the movement in print and photographs. You've probably seen the black and white mid-1960s photos from Reminder Day in Philadelphia and the first protests in front of the White House. That was Kay. That photo of Sylvia Rivera draped on the edge of a fountain? That was Kay, too. I call Kay and Barbara the happy warriors of the movement because they knew how to have a good time while changing the world, our world, for the better. Barbara died in 2007. Kay is 88 now and living in a retirement community. We have a gay dinner table. Once a month, we meet in the main dining room, and I take along this little gay flag and the American flag, and I would put that in the middle of the table, plant our flag. (laughs) We've got a dinner date with Kay and her friends, and you're invited too. Our destination is about a 20-minute drive west from the Wilmington-Delaware Amtrak station, a route that takes us across the state line and into the Pennsylvania countryside. Turning from a tree-lined parkway onto a winding, leafy driveway, we pull up at the main building of Kendall at Longwood, the Quaker-run community where Kay lives. Hey. <laughs> How are you? Hi. Mm, so Here good I to am. see you. You do the audio. Sa- yeah, Sarah's the producer. Well, come on in. Uh, so we'll go in. As we walk into the large communal dining room, over in the right corner beside a wall of windows is a table set for eight with Kay's arrangement of flags and rainbow flowers at its center. We have a white and we have a red. I'll have a tiny bit of white just so I can, we can make a toast. What are we toasting? To Eric's podcast. To the podcast. podcast. I think I'd like to make a, a toast to gay history yep. and yes. all of the combined histories at this table. Here, here. Um, <laughs> it's no exaggeration to say that at this table of Kay's friends, everyone has made history in ways big and small, and sometimes in ways they won't even acknowledge to themselves. Take Marge McCann. She's been living in the Kendall retirement community with her wife, Carol Smith, since October 2012. So I have a, a, a sentence I'd like you to complete. Oh, I hate these. <laughs> Go. If you were a tree... No, that's the Barbara Walters question. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, the line begins, I made gay history when. So Marge, why don't you go first? I don't think I did make gay history. There were people ahead of me that did so much more. As a matter of fact, in the mid-1960s, Marge was the secretary of the Daughters of Belitis, the first organization for lesbians, founded in 1955. And she gave a speech at the conference of the East Coast homophile organizations after asking attorneys general in every state about the legal status of gay people. That conference took place in September 1965. That's four years before Stonewall. There were seven people in the world who were active then, okay? And the rest, all the rest were stomach mirrors. So this is, there's, a, there's a photo of that ECHO conference with um, 
uh, with Shirley Willer standing in the middle. Is that the Echo Conference I'm yeah, thinking of? Yeah. yeah. Are you in that picture? Um, if I recall correctly, in a dress. You are. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How did that happen? That's what you were in those days, okay. particularly DOB. We were exceedingly conscious of uh, behaving like ladies so as to be more accepted. It was harder for some of us. Marge and Carol have been together for 27 years. Carol says that her historic moment came in 1992. That's when news of her and Marge's commitment ceremony made the Sunday paper in their hometown of Philadelphia, where Carol was a teacher. I went to school Monday morning, and the principal called me down. And I thought, oh, God. Gird your loins, girl. Just do it. And I went to the principal's office, and he was a big, tall Irishman, Joe Sweeney. And he said, first, congratulations. And second, if you need me, call me. Well, as high school children will, I was the buzz. And so I said to my class, yes, I am a lesbian. Yes, my children know I am a lesbian. And if any of you have any questions, as long as you're not going to ask me what I do in the bedroom, I will stay after school every day this week, and we will talk. And several kids came. And I think I helped them along their way. I told them about the attic. I provided some other resources for them. That's something. Yeah, yeah, that is definitely something. So that they didn't necessarily have to have the same struggle I had. As someone who's also a teacher in Philadelphia, Carol Smith's story hit me hard. Even though back in 1975, Pennsylvania was actually the first state to ban discrimination based on sexual orientation for public sector employees, it was incredibly brave and selfless for Carol to talk about her sexual orientation at school. Stay put, and we'll be back to introduce you to more of Kay's legendary dining companions in just a minute. This episode is proudly supported by LMT, the hospitality industry's preferred partner for sourcing tabletop supplies. From their New York City headquarters, LMT provides expertise and uniquely curated products for restaurants and hotels nationwide. Whether it's dinnerware, glassware, and cutlery, to small wares and equipment, LMT's approach to tasteful design and product knowledge is simply unmatched. Learn more at lmtprovisions.com and listen to founder Morgan Tucker on episode four of Opening Soon on Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to Queer the Table. We're back with a guest episode from Making Gay History. This is Kayla Husen's Gay Table. I'm uh, Colleen Johnston. Um, John Fong. These two have been together for 47 years, which to me feels pretty historic in its own right. But there's more. I made gay history when we were the first gay couple to have a blessing service in an Episcopal monastery. We met on January the 10th, 1971, a date that lives in infamy. (laughs) (laughs) We met in a bar. I was struggling to come out. I was still dating women. 
and I was studying for an exam, and I got tired of studying. Saturday night, I went down to my local gay bar for a beer, and who should walk in but this young man? Well, I was going through the throes of a breakup. Friends of mine said, you have to go out again. So I said, I'll go out if you take me to a gay bar that I haven't been to. And they drove me to this remote gay bar in... Germantown. Germantown. And believe me, it was remote. <laughs> <laughs> and... The rest is history. <laughs> Moved to Brookline. We got married after the Massachusetts Superior Court decision. And we had a blessing service in an Episcopal monastery in Cambridge. The only one. The only one. <laughs> the only one that, that had been, ever been done there. Still the first Still and only, the only gay blessing service. Also joining us at the table is Jose Hernandez Alvarez, a slight, quiet man. But don't let that fool you. He tells us how he fought for and won custody of his three children after his first marriage to a woman fell apart. Jose came out at 40 and says that he was the first gay parent ever to be awarded custody in the state of Wisconsin. But that victory came at a price. I could just about hold down a job and take care of the kids during that time. When it appeared in the newspapers, a gang came and broke every single window in our house. We had to go to live with some friends, uh, you know, because it was so cold in the winter. And um, after that, I was stalked by uh, guys who uh, trailed me wherever I went in Milwaukee. And unfortunately, the people I worked with at the sociology department there in the University of Wisconsin, they said, we need you too much to let you go on the basis of your troubles here in Milwaukee. So move to Chicago in secrecy. Don't give anybody your telephone number or your address. Keep that absolutely secret and commute between the two cities to do your job. And I did for three years. Commuting was difficult, but it freed me up to, uh, to be myself. I moved into a small apartment, and then I got a larger one where, where I could have the kids. And uh, Chicago meant freedom to me, and I began to act as a, as a gay man. Celebrating the freedom to be themselves, to be out and proud, that's why this dinner happens every month. It's nice um, and important to know that you're not the only one. Yeah, well, ditto, but also it, it's important to be visible. It's as important, I think, when you live in a place like this, just like it's important to come out. I think it's been responsible for breaking down barriers and breaking down prejudices. And I think it's just as important in a community like this, because not everybody's necessarily accepting. But when they see there is a, 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 an active, involved gay community in, in a retirement community like this, I think it's, oh, wow. So, Eric, I will say this. There are some people who are residents who are not thrilled that we're here and we're out and about. We don't know who they are. We don't know who they are, and they're very Quakerly about it. So, um, We've just been told they exist. Yeah. You know who they are? No, I don't know who they are. No. Well, I imagine the one guy that puts on uh, Fox News in the fitness center might be one of them. Our dinner conversation weaves from movie reviews John and Colin loved Call Me By Your Name, I Didn't, to gossiping about the past, Henry David's legendary Philadelphia Halloween parties, to gossiping about the present, who's not on the list for the gay table but maybe should be, and then Jose, 
who's been quiet through much of the meal, shares this hope for the future. Why can I say I'm a Buddhist? And, uh, I really hope that in my next life I can begin as a gay male around age 15 or so to have a much different life than I had in this time. I've told my kids that, and I tell them that I love them very deeply, and I would go through the same thing again for them no matter what. But that doesn't apply to the next time, <laughs> if there is such a thing. So uh, that's my hope. My dinner companions, who expressed pride before it was safe to do so, are now claiming their space as elders. Once again, they're pushing for change, demanding recognition and paving the way, one dinner at a time. Wow. You know, Eric, this is the liveliest table in the place. Oh, yeah, it always is. <laughs> and that way, every time we meet, we're carrying on all these other people are all these, all these old straight people are very boring. Yeah. You know, we've kind of made a hard and fast rule. You can't go to the German table if you don't speak German. You can't go to the Spanish table if you don't speak Spanish. Ergo. So gay is spoken at the gay table. Gay, Correct. gay is spoken at the gay table. Fluently. Fluently, right. So when you reach the age where you're thinking about moving into a retirement community, and I'm almost there, or face the prospect of a nursing home, maybe there will be a rainbow flag at one of the dining room tables. And it will be thanks in part to elders like Kay, Carol, Marge, Jose, John, and Colin, who have been fighting for us all along. So if Barbara truly was the mother of the gay rights movement, I believe you two co-parented. <laughs> You'll find links to two Making Gay History episodes drawn from my 1989 interviews with Kayla Husen and Barbara Giddings in the notes for this episode. You've been hearing Kay and her friends telling us how they made history. And we'd love to hear your stories, and maybe we'll share some of them during Season 4. So please email us at hello at makinggayhistory.com or tweet us, or reach out to us on Instagram, completing the sentence, I'm, insert your name here, and I made gay history when... We really look forward to hearing from you. This special episode of Making Gay History was produced by Sarah Burningham with assistance from Josh Gwynn. Thanks to the Making Gay History crew, Will Coley, Denio Lorenko, Inga Dataya, Jonathan Dozer-Ezel, Bronwyn Pardis, Michael Green, and our composer, Fritz Myers. A very special thank you to Carol Smith for her help and for hosting us. And, as always, thank you to our guardian angel, Jenna Weiss-Berman. The Making Gay History podcast is a co-production of Pineapple Street Media with assistance from the New York Public Library's Manuscripts and Archives Division and One Archives at the USC Libraries. Making Gay History is made possible with funding from the Ford Foundation, the Jonathan Logan Family Foundation, and the Calamus Foundation. You can subscribe to Making Gay History wherever you get your podcasts or go to makinggayhistory.com where you'll find all our episodes. Listening to them is as easy as clicking play. While you're there, take a look at the photos from our dinner with Kay and that iconic photo of the 1965 Echo Conference that Marge and I were talking about. So long, until next time. Do you want us to take you back to the train? We can do that.
get a car. It's driving a little bit dark by the time. Did you get, we did, had what cataract you surgery. Use? We can drive in the dark. Did you use Uber? We got back to that clarification. That's our show for today. You can find the link to the original Making Gay History episode in the notes. And while you're there, you should absolutely subscribe to the show. Also in the show notes is the link to our brand new Instagram page. It's at Queer the Table, and it's literally brand new. But I promise we'll be posting lots of great stuff. Queer the Table is produced by me, Nico Whistler. Our logo was designed by Natalie Uduella, and the theme song is by Denali Gillespie, who also inspired the name for the show. None of this would be possible without the support of the whole team at Heritage Radio Network celebrating 10 years of food radio. In fact, the 10th anniversary gala, a rare gathering of your favorite chefs, mixologists, storytellers, thought leaders, and culinary masterminds, is coming up on November 11th at the Brooklyn Botanical Garden. Get your tickets by visiting heritageradionetwork.org gala. And lastly, if you're enjoying Queer the Table, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It'll help other people find the show, and it makes us look cool. Until next time. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.